Welcome to another inspirational message from London Life Church. You're listening to our Sermon of the Week. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father in heaven, we ask now that you will breathe your breath of life upon these words. That they may dance before our eyes and find meaningfulness in our lives. That we would leave this place empowered to stand our ground and speak truth to power is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of our message today is Never Run From a Fight. Stand your ground. Never run from a fight. This is what Paul seems to be saying in this passage. Don't run from the fight. Stand your ground. I've got this. Just don't run from the fight. I uh, don't know about you, but I've never had a fight when I was at school. Uh, anybody had a fight when they were at school? Yeah, don't, put it, don't put your hands too far up. You know. um, but I've never had a, never had a fight. Um, at school. In fact, if there was a fight or I heard about a fight, I would just run the opposite, opposite way. That was, that was just me. Um, there was one occasion, Colin, when somebody tried to fight me. It would have been in what you might call year nine. Uh, back in those days, we would say in the third year. I was about 14 at the time. And this guy waited for me at the end of school We were playing football, and he waited for me at the end of school. And he came up to me. His name was Joseph Romain. And he came up to me, and he said, in front of all my mates, come on, Gifford, let's fight. (laughs) Just like that. You had no reason to fight me. So come on, Gifford, let's fight. And he started to poke me. It was right here. I actually remember. It was right here. Come on, he was poking me. Come on, Gifford, let's fight. I've never seen you fight before. And I need to know where you are in the pecking order. I know you're goody-goody at school, but we need to see you fight. And my heart was racing. Because I just don't fight. I don't do fights. And I don't know, it must have been God who told me to do this. But I figured the only way I can get out of this is to talk my way out of this. And that's what I did. Come on, Joseph. You know, we go back a long way. Joe, we started school when we were in primary school at the age of seven. And we're here in secondary school in the same class. And you want to fight me? (laughs) I know your parents. I know some of your sisters. You know my family. I mean, why would you want to fight me? Come on, we're brothers. We're Bridget. Why would you want to fight? And as I was speaking, I felt I hit the, the, his, thump, his thumps were just slower and softer until he felt really silly. And he looked like an idiot in front of everyone. And he walked away with his tail between his legs. Never had a fight in my life. Never had a fight. Well, until... Four years ago. What? Did you just say that? Pastor? Pastor having a fight four years ago? 
Well, uh, a neighbor of mine, I went to, to knock, uh, knock the door of a neighbor of mine, and uh, the, the chap fell, came out, and he, um, he said, what's up? And I said, well, um, uh, is your brother in it? He said, uh, no, why? And I said, it seems as though his um, roadside, you know these roadside delivery vans, these massive AA vans, it seems as though when he was trying to park, he hit the back of my lights while it was parked, and I don't think he knew about it, so I just, just want to tell him that this has happened. And the guy said to me, well, it's your word against his then, isn't it? And I thought, you want me to come and show you then? Because, you know, the trail of the, the collision is right there, you know. He said, well, well, it's your word against his. And I said, well, just tell him that when he comes, when he comes in, just tell him, to give me a buzz and then we'll sort it out. Because I'm sure if he saw it, he would have said something. And I said that in my pastoral, quiet, collected voice. And you know what the geezer did? He pushed me. I mean, he pushed me so hard, I fell back about two meters. And immediately I shouted, what are you doing? And I went to stand my ground. (laughs) Never had a fight in my life. I said, what are you doing? I, you know, I'm a big black guy. Not quite as tall as you, but big black guy. And he's a you know, little white guy. And I'm thinking, what are you doing with me? You know, and just as I went into his face, his dad ran, ran out, ran in between us and held us apart. And he told his son, go inside, get back inside. I don't know what's wrong with you. Get back inside. You might be wondering what Jay was doing while this, all of this was going. She was biting off her fingers, calling the police. You know, she called the police. And I remember thinking to myself, I mean, he had alcohol on his breath, and I learned later that his mother died that weekend. But that was no justification for the way he acted, especially against the pastor, or for a man of the cloth. I did pray for him that night. That God will protect his life. I, I do have this. I do actually believe that if you play around with a man of the cloth, something's coming your way. I fundamentally believe that. And I have many stories to back that up. And so I prayed that God will preserve his life. But I couldn't sleep. Couldn't sleep that night. And I'm thinking, if only I went to martial arts, you know, and I learned some kung fu. Honestly, I, I, you know, I would have anticipated his move and I would have just, you know, acted appropriately. The, the, the 24 hours later, the, the night afterwards, I still couldn't sleep. I'm telling you the truth. I still couldn't sleep. And I thought, suppose, suppose I had pepper spray, you know, like the Robocops, pepper spray or a taser. I couldn't sleep. And I was thinking all of the ways and means by which I can just attack him. And put him in his place. And this came so plain and bright to me when I saw myself as Robocop. You see, I have this thing. That if you are dressed in an armor, it must psychologically wind you up to look for a fight. To search for a fight. 
Just think about it. That's why we say to young boys, don't carry knives. Because if you find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time, you might just use it. That's what happens. If you are wearing an armor, wouldn't it psychologically wind you up to just look for a fight? But Paul is saying, no, the armor is not an armor of offense. It's an armor of defense. Because you're meant to stand your ground. Stand your ground. Well, what are you talking about, Paul, in this armor of defense? What are you talking about? Well, to put it into perspective, we have to look at the context of the book of Ephesians. When pastor read out the text, he began with the word, finally, implying that this pericope, this section, this paragraph at the end of the letter is actually a conclusion of the matter. So what is the book of Ephesians about? I put it to you that if you were to wake the Apostle Paul up in today, in 2021, if he were to be resurrected, so to speak, and you were to ask him, Paul, of all the letters that you wrote, of all the books that are published in the New Testament, which, which one speaks about the church of God in the most powerful way? Which of your treaties talk about your idea or conceptualization of what the church should be and what the church is? And I put it to you, Paul will have no hesitation to say the book of Ephesians. Not Romans, not Corinthians, not Galatians, but Ephesians. Why Ephesians? If I were to summarize the book of Ephesians, it would be this. Ephesians is about the church, the gathering church that comes together. It is about the church that works together in unity. The unity that Jesus left behind when he resurrected 2,000 years ago. The church that works together in unity will grow together and stand its ground as it speaks truth to the powers of evil. I repeat, the church that works together in the harmony of the, and the unity of Jesus Christ is the church that will grow together, especially as it stands its ground and speaking truth to the powers of evil. How do I know? Because I'm going to literally take you through how I know. This church, this gathering place of people like you and me, because that's what the word church actually means. Church is not about buildings. Church has no reference to buildings. We say come to church and we mean the buildings, right? But in the Bible, church actually refers to people. Wherever the people of God are, church is. That's why I, I, uh, I shed a tear while I was worshipping with us today. The, my favorite text in the Bible is in Psalm 27. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And when I saw my daughter standing up here and singing and ministering to us, I just started to cry. I cried, Serena, because I missed your birthday. It's her birthday the other day. And, uh, and I just want to thank God and that he's blessed her abundantly. Uh, she doesn't live with me, and that hurts sometimes. It really does. But she lives with her auntie and her uncle here in London. And I'm just so happy that God's preserved your life so immensely, and that you've grown up to be the beautiful woman that you are. You just bring me enormous joy, unbridled joy, and happiness. But that's what joy, that's what church ought to be, really. Church ought to be like that, that I should be able to speak of you, and you of me, in these terms, you see. Because church, and I'm going to take you through the models, church is actually family. Church of family. Now, the thing about Paul's church that he describes here in the book of Ephesians is that this church actually lives and operates in two places at the same time, on the earthly realm and on the spiritual realm. Did you get that? On the earthly realm and on the spiritual realm. You might remember, Pastor reading in 6.12, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against principalities and powers, don't we? against uh, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And this phrase, high places, is actually heavenly places. That's the actual word. If you're a biblical scholar, the phrase is entois uparaniois, in heavenly places. And for Paul, this is a euphemism for the spiritual realm. We do not, we do not as a church, fight against flesh and blood, but we fight in the spiritual realm. This phrase, entois eperaneois, the heavenly places, the spiritual realm, occurs five times in the book of Ephesians. The first time is is in chapter 1 and verse 3. There we find blessings. Blessings and victories are in the spiritual realm. In 1 verse 20, we find that Jesus is there. In 2 verse 6, we find that the church is actually promoted and elevated to that space. The church is there. Now you might think, well, how on earth is the church there? How can you be at two places at once? Technology has taught us that, hasn't it? Yeah, all during lockdown, we've had to use the inimical Zoom, haven't we? Yeah. You can be at two places at the same time when you're using Zoom. I was in Poland. That's why I missed my daughter's birthday. And I was working from there. And, my, and I was working in the sunshine. Um, uh, it's quite, the weather's quite consistent in Poland. Sunshine, beautiful weather. I was sitting on, my, on a lake with my laptop and on Zoom. And my students were here in Britain on this erratic weather, <laughs> which wouldn't decide if it want to be hot or cold. You know how it is, and rainy, you were here. And I was thinking to myself, here I am. I'm here in Poland, and yet I'm here in England at the same time. Today, people are watching us as we worship. 
And even as they hear, they hear my voice. I'm right here in Notting Hill, and they are wherever they are. Is Miro, where's Miro, is he? Is he in Croatia? So Miro's probably watching this, and he's, he, Miro, I'm in your room, wherever you are, on your phone, in Croatia. Isn't that amazing? It's an amazing thing that you can be in two places at the same time. And the church lives on two places, at the same, in two places at the same time. One is the visible, the visible um, uh, earthly place, and the other one is the invisible spiritual place. The visible earthly uh, realm is where we are sitting today, where we see each other through and, and sense each other through our senses. The spiritual invisible realm is that which we cannot see and there spirits dwell and have their beings. And as a church, according to 2.6, we are in heavenly places. We are in the spiritual realm. In 3 verse 10, the text actually says that God doesn't do anything in the spiritual realm without consulting his church first. So the church serves as a conduit between heaven and earth. We have been given authority, the authority with the wind of heaven in our sails to do God's bidding here on earth. God does not raise his hands, friends, independently of the church. That's how valuable you and me are. And then in 6.12, it says, the battle is there. The fight is there. The war is there. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so on. Okay, so I understand that, Paul. But what are you telling us about the church? What's so fascinating about the book of Ephesians in terms of the church? What's so fascinating? What do you say? Well, there are four powerful imageries that Paul used to describe the church, and I'm going to quickly go through them. In chapter 1, we find the first one, which is the body. The church is called the body, the organism. This analogy actually points to the notion of different organs in our bodies working harmoniously together. Your giftedness and my giftedness through the medium of this church works harmoniously together. So think about it. The, the hand is not pulling you over here and the foot is not pulling you over there. Your body is working harmoniously together. And Paul says, the church is the body. In chapter 2, he says the church is the temple. Now, the temple is a physical being, a physical building like this temple today. Of course, Paul is talking about Herod's temple back in the first century. But there was something peculiar and weird about Herod's temple, and it was this, that there were boundaries and that there were barriers that prevented certain people from coming in. And these certain people were non-Jews. Gentiles were not allowed to go to church, were not allowed to go to the temple, enter the temple. In fact, there was a big sign that says, do not trespass. If you trespass, you trespass at the risk of your life. Can you imagine having that sign outside this church? <laughs> Somebody said, well, there might be an invisible sign that says that. I don't know. 
well, not, not in London life anyway. So basically, chapter 2 is saying the temple, God's temple, is one where all the barriers are gone. All the, all the boundaries of division have been taken away at the sacrifice of Jesus' life. That's what Jesus' sacrifice means. There are no longer any boundaries. There's no Greeks or Gentiles. There's no uh, male or female. We are all one in the temple of God. And that's the church is called the temple. This means that wherever the church is, wherever we are, the church is, as I said. And wherever we are doing ministry, the church is. And it means also that wherever we are, we are joining people to join God. Because that's what the church is meant to be. Did you know that the church does not exist for you and me? Because we are already the church. The church exists for others who are yet to know about God. You and me exist, are still alive today. Because God wants to do something amazing in your life. So that you can reach and touch others with the power of his love. And some of you have tested that already and have seen the evidence of that already. That's why we exist. That's what uh, the temple is all about. The third imagery is the imagery of the family. This is an interesting one in chapters 5 and 6 because here the family is the extended family. Paul says the church is like the husband and the wife and it's like the parents and the children and it's also like the household leader. The text refers to them as masters and the servants and slaves. Now, the slaves here, master and slave, is not like the master and slave relationships or we, that we talk about in the past 500 years. You know, that's chattel slavery, right? The sla- and so we're not talking about slavery back in Paul's day. We're talking about an, a, a situation where you would have servants. Now, I know that if you go to certain parts of this world, people live with servants. You don't have to be rich to have servants. When I was in Jamaica, for example, studying there, uh, there were people who had helpers. They called them helpers. But, you know, they're like servants. They're like servants. And the helpers and their families would actually live in the basement or live in a house on the compound somewhere. This is, was the relationship between the household family and their servants. The servants were referred to as family back in Paul's day. And we have much evidence to, to back that up. And Paul is saying the relationships between people, between uh, the individuals of the church is just like family. That's why I got so emotional when I talked about my daughter, you see. Husband and wife ought to submit to each other. That's what the text says. Hello, somebody. <laughs> Some of you might have read in, in verse 21, no. It says, especially if you read in the King James Version, yeah, wives, submit to your husbands. And then I hear the echo, submit, 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 submit. But did you know the text actually says in the original language, submitting yourselves one to the other, wives submit, husbands submit. Husbands are at their best when they submit to the femininity of their wives. 
Wives are at their best when they submit to the masculinity of their husbands. Hello, somebody. I, I could go on there, but I don't want to get sidetracked. You see. Okay? Same thing between parents and children. Parents, don't provoke your children to wrath. Children, respect and honor your parents. Pair, uh, masters, do the same. Honor your servants. Servants, honor your masters. So that's the church, the relationships as we do church together is like family. But then Paul leaves the last one, the biggest one till last. And that one is the soldier. The church is like the soldier. Now, I said soldier, but if you read the original language, you'll actually realize it's not any old soldier. It's actually a gladiator. The church is like the gladiator. How do I know? Because of the pieces of armor that the gladiator is, is, is wearing. All of the items described are actually gladiator armor. Let me, let me go through them quickly. Paul talks about the belt. Then he talks about the breastplate. Yeah. Then he talks about the shoes. That's the three thing. That's the first three. Because What I didn't fail to tell you was that the six items of armor are actually divided into two classifications. The first three that I just told you, the belt, the best plate, and the shoes, or the sandals, or the shoes. And then the the last three is the, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. Well... Just quickly, the, the, the shield is not actually a big Roman shield like, you know, that, you, that, we, that we sometimes see on films because it's a gladiator. Gladiators don't carry big shields. They carry a small little shield on their arms. Some of you might remember the film Gladiator and you remember a little shield that they carry on their arm. Yeah, it's just a little one on their arm. The helmet is to protect the crown of their head, yes, but the sword is not a long sword. It's actually a dagger. Which actually means that it's not a missile type fight, right? It's one where there is a contact sport. It's one where you're actually wrestling with the person and your your the moistures of your sweat is mixing and, and your blood is mixing because you are wrestling with each other. That's why the King James Version actually says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's actually a a contact sport, you see. So when you dwell in heavenly places and you you face the day of evil, because everyone, young and old, will face their days of evil. I remember my days of evil. And I remember saying to myself, I never, ever thought this would ever happen to me. Never thought it. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Your days of evil will come and it will get messy and it will disturb you and it will derail you because it's contact sport, you see. But Paul says, no, what you're wearing It's actually for defense. It's not for offense. So stand your ground. Why? Because God reigns in the spiritual realm. He's in charge. The victory is his. He's got it. 
And if the victory has already been won on the spiritual realm, all we need to do is stand your ground and don't back down. Don't be a wimp. Don't be a coward. Just stand your ground because God's got this. How do we know? Well, let's look at the armor again. The belt, he calls it the belt of truth. Interesting thing about the belt is that the belt is necessary to keep your clothes on, right? And the first three pieces of armor were meant for the gladiator to be inside. The last three was meant for the gladiator when he was going outside. So the three, the belt, the breastplate and the shoes, the gladiator will stay there inside as he prepares and as he thinks about what's happening and he would stand as he does so. And then just about when he's about to, just about uh, uh, he, uh, going, when it's announced that it's for him to go out, the, uh, the, he would pick up his little shield and then he would receive the helmet. Somebody would put the helmet on him and then someone will give him the dagger. Well, what we have is the belt of truth that's supposed to keep your clothes on. Truth seen from the earthly realm is simply seen as facts. Lots of people confuse truth with facts. If you've done science, if you've done engineering, if you've done mathematics, they teach you that facts is the complete picture of everything. But I'm here to tell you facts is not the complete truth. Because when you are in the spiritual realm, the facts are facts, but you see the full meaning of the facts. You see the full idea and, 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 and import of the facts. And there you see the truth. Truth is what God sees. And the beauty with the church of the living God is that when we are in the spiritual realm, we see life in the way that God sees life. This week, I had an awful week. It was a flat week. You ever had one of those week? weeks? Weeks are just flat, really, really flat. And I couldn't figure out what it was. I got up and I did many things, and I, but I felt like a headless chicken, you know, just chasing around and not getting anywhere. It was flat. And I was speaking to one of my sisters, and I told her, she said, how are you doing? You know, when your sister asks you, it's a gift, how are you? You know, you can't, you know, you have to actually say, you know, so I'm really glad I feel so flat. And after describing how I felt, she said, you're grieving, you're mourning, you're lost. I'm thinking, well, my dad died seven, eight years, eight months ago. So, you know, it's not really that. She said, no, but something closer home to you has been lost. I thought, of course. This is the first time I'm going to say it in public. I'm actually leaving Newbold College. I'm leaving full employment with Newbold. They're not booting me out or anything like that. In fact, it's a shock to their system that I'm leaving. I just felt that it's time for me to move on. You know, sometimes you're in a situation and there's a glass ceiling above your head 
and you feel you just can't get anywhere. And if you stay here, you're just going to suffocate and die. Well, even in God's college, that's how I felt. And I felt that it's time for me to move on. But I've been at Newbold for 22 years. 22 years. I was reflecting on this the other day, Pavle. I, I, I supervised Pavle's master's dissertation. But Pavle is part of over 50 dissertations, master's dissertations that I've supervised. That's, that's a lot, right? Over the years. And I didn't realize. Because the fact was, friends, that my week was flat. But that was not the truth. Hello, somebody. The truth was, I was grieving. Are you hearing me? The truth is the complete picture. Maybe something is going on in your life now. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're looking for a job. Or the right kind of job. Or maybe you're looking for another place, a place to live. I'm here to tell you, that's just the facts. Go in the spiritual realm and see what it looks like. And I will tell you, you're not only looking for a job, you're looking for a career. That's the truth. You're not only looking for a place to live, you're looking for a home. And that's the truth. Because in God's eyes, things look very differently. That's the belt of truth. Do you understand? And I could go through each one and tell you what it looks like from God's perspective. Righteousness, for example, the breastplate of righteousness. We think righteousness is all about just doing the right thing. That's what we think. No, that's looking at it from the human perspective, from the visible earthly realm. But if you look at it in the invisible spiritual realm, you realize that that doing the right thing is never enough. Our role is not to just do the right thing. Our role is to make things right. And that's justice, friends. And justice is what love looks like in public. The church ought to be engaging in doing justice in making things right. Are you hearing me? That's looking at it in spiritual eyes. There's the feet of peace, right? The sandals of peace or the, the, the shoes of peace. Peace is not just about the absence of conflict. Hello, somebody. <laughs> hmm? If you don't have conflict in your life, it probably means that you're not alive. <laughs> because conflict is for every day and for everyone. Right now, there's a conflict going through in your minds. Right now. So peace is not about the absence of conflict. Peace is about knowing that the Spirit of God resides in you. Remember, we're looking at the spirit, the spirit realm. And the Spirit of God resides in you so much so that even when the storm comes, you can smile at the storm. Yeah, like me, your heart might be racing. <laughs> I don't want to fight. All right. But when the peace of God is there, it emboldens you to smile at the storm. And then when you get outside for the actual combat and you take up the faith, the shield of faith, faith is not just about believing God. It's not just about belief. That's looking at it from the human level. From the spiritual level, faith is actually acting upon what you believe. 
And did you know that heaven is not going to move until you put one foot forward? Did you know that? When Carla and Nathan decided to go back to, 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 to Australia, to Aussie land, I was surprised, by the way, that they're letting you in, you know, because these guys are so strict when it comes to COVID and so on. Um, but when they decided to go back to Aussie land, it wasn't just, it wasn't just, oh, we need to go back, you know, I believe that we need to go back, you know, I, and that's important, uh, you know, uh, so we need to go back. If they continue to say we need to go back, they will still be saying we need to go back. But it's when they decided to buy their ticket and everything fell in place, right? And the things that you're trying to work out are still falling in place. Hello? Yes, they are. Because you are living life in the spirit realm. Are you with me? And then you have the, and then you receive the helmet of salvation. Salvation is not just about deliverance from sin and evil. Unfortunately, friends, that's what our church sees. That's why people in the church are so judgmental. Oh, he's sinning again, or he's doing this, and we're so judgmental of other people outside because we think salvation is just about deliverance from sin and evil. No. Salvation in God's eyes is actually acting through the empowerment of God to resist evil, acting to continue your relationship with God despite the evil and the sin that surrounds you. It's about putting your belief, your um, empowered, sorry, your deliverance into action, you see. And lastly, when you receive the dagger of the spirit, which is the word of God, this is not just about um, uh, uh, just reading something and then because, it's, because you hear people say, well, the Bible says it, therefore I believe it. You know? It's actually much more than that. You see, I was taught sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Were you ever taught that? That is a big lie. Because the word that is used here in the original language is rhema. It's not logos. Logos refers to the written word. That, uh, and, you know, in John it refers to Jesus Christ. But his logos refers to the, to the reasoned out word. The word that makes logical sense. That's what logos refers to. Here we have rhema. Rhema is the, is the spoken word. The word that has utterance. And in the Hebrew mindset, once you spoke a word, that word had life of its own. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And then they actually believed, if you spoke the word, you can't take it back. You just can't, because the word has already been spoken. And Paul is saying, when you stand up as a church and you utter the promises of God, no matter who you are or no matter where you are, you will see victory right in front of you. So believe, but utter and speak the word. Don't just read it silently. Hear your accent. Hear your body, hear it resonate in your body. 
so that it might have life. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When you say that against the wiles of the evil one, God gives you courage. He gives you bold speech to stand your ground, you see, to stand your ground. But I'm not finished yet. Because at the end, Paul tells us, the way we wear our armor is through prayer. The spoken word, yes, but prayer. Prayer is the way of giving God permission to act in your life. I repeat, prayer is giving the powers of the spiritual realm permission to find expression in the physical realm. Somebody needs to pray. Somebody needs to pray. Again, Paul says all kinds of prayers, meaning meditation, meaning solitude, meaning uh, 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 prayer and fasting, meaning collective prayer. Can you imagine if this place is known as a place of prayer? People will know that when you pray, things happen. Can you imagine that people will actually come to this place just to hear you pray? And to have their shoulders uh, laid upon by your hands because they, they just know that when you utter and when you speak, things happen. Can you imagine that? So wear your armor, but do it through prayer. Because if there's anything in this world that we need, is prayer so that we might speak truth to power. Remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Unfortunately, some of you, while you were listening to this sermon, you heard yourself, and that's okay. But the reason why I said unfortunately, because it's much more than that. Because Paul is not just talking about our individual selves. Paul is talking about our collective selves. He's talking about the church. There's power when people come together in the name of Jesus. There's power when people come together and utter the name of Jesus and call upon the name. Can you imagine? I remember calling a church, calling a church together and being part of a church and we laid our hands on someone who was, have just had difficulty in her, in, in her, you know, she had a very unfortunate um, life where she, was living life in the red light district. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And she was addicted to that context. And she cried. And I said, well, let's bring the church together. And we brought a few people together who believed in prayer. And we laid our hands on with her. And we tarried with her. And we didn't just speak life into her. We didn't just speak life into her. We, we, gave, we, we, we gave her some instructions on what she should do after and how she can resist the wiles of the evil one and how she can just stand her ground. Are you with me? That's power. Living wonder. Power. I remember, I, I remember um, a friend who came to me and said, Pastor, I want you to bless my keys. I said, what are you talking about? 
bless my keys. He said, I've just bought a car. And I'm so happy. I want you to bless them. I thought, wow. He was not just looking at his car in the physical world. He was looking at his car in the spiritual world. And we blessed that car. And to date, he's never had an accident in that car. Amen. And whatever he does in that car is in the name of Jesus. Hello, somebody. There's power, you see. In the spirit realm, there's power. And when the church comes together, we should be speaking truth to power. The truth, the powers that Paul is talking about here is the Roman powers. You know, the, the, the colonial power of Rome. That's the powers he, that he was talking about. What powers should we be speaking truth to today as a church? It's one thing to mop up the blood that spills. And as a church, it's okay to mop up the blood that spills. But we are called to speak truth to power also. And by mop up the blood that spills, I'm talking about, yeah, the work of Adra and all of that. You know, that's okay, feeling the homeless, that's okay. What we're doing there is mopping up the blood that spills. But how about speaking power, speaking truth to the structural powers of evil? As somebody plays in, in this day of Black Lives Matter, where people are trying to distract us with critical, critical race theory and all of that sort of thing to take our eyes off the real issues. In this day of predatory capitalism, where the rich gets richer and the poor gets poorer, in this day, where reckless imperial powers, imperial powers in high places of wickedness are wreaking havoc in places across this globe of ours, so much so that another crisis of refugees is just happening right now in Afghanistan. Is there a word from the Lord? Has God got something to say about these? God can only speak, friends, through you and me, through his church. We are raised as a prophetic church to speak truth to power. To power. We should never be comfortable seeing the wiles of evil, the structures of evil, having domination in our backyard. So much so that people are being ostracized in education, in, in the housing market, in, this, in, 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 in the ministry of justice and so on. Are you with me? So are you ready to stand? To stand your ground with holy boldness and speak truth to power? You're going to find your voice again? Hmm? Because I've heard you when you're angry. I've heard you when you're upset. <laughs> Are you prepared to stand your ground and know that God's got this? And as you stand, as you stand with truth and with justice and with salvation, with peace, with faith, with the spirit of the word, that you will fulfill your design, you will fulfill your purpose in this life, and do what you're meant to do and touch somebody else's life as we bring 
the church closer to a dying world. This is my prayer. This is my focus. This is my ambition. I pray that it will be yours also. This is the end of this broadcast. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired. For more information, please visit LondonLiveChurch.com. Thank you.